You are listening to The Transport, episode 12, Shoot, Shoot, Shoot. The Transport by Alex Ames. You are listening to The Transport, a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast, written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Chapter 42 Herbert After the attack against the transport, the unplanned route towards veracity had been evaluated as, as the second most difficult and risky thing. The new road had not undergone the meticulous preparation. Unlike the highway towards the proton collider, the road to veracity offered no embankment reinforcements no extra-wide tarmac, and no clearing of obstacles. It was for the MMTUs to pave their way through nature's and civilization's impediments by brute force, while the converted army team had to make sure the load stayed balanced. Difficult even under prepared conditions, close to impossible unprepared and understaffed. Gorsuch and the two converted loaders did not have everything under control and Herbert was at the point of exasperation. What went wrong went wrong, a cesspool of Murphy's law-like issues multiplying. The team grew tired by the hour and developed concentration issues. They made mistakes or simply were no longer motivated to go full steam ahead. Saul Hammer, the left side loader, underestimated the width as they passed the old abandoned gas station. Part of the old roof and the rest of the rusty pump stations were in the way, too close to the road. Gorsuch put the transport into inches per minute gear and they all huddled for a long palaver of the technicians. But the freshly converted army clones within the hosts had the decision-making capabilities of a politician before re-election. Why don't we just drive ahead and simply run over the fucking thing, Herbert exploded. Smitty had already driven ahead to Legion headquarters in the school bus and had passed the leadership baton to Herbert. That asshole. The three army stooges looked at each other. Might damage the modules or the wheels. But how long will it take to drive around it? Maybe two hours? We need to investigate the ground. Most of the MMTUs will run on sand in case we take the detour. Basically, only the middle MMTU will be full on the road. The rest will be on sand, Gorsuch said. Herbert stared at the men, frustrated. So either way we do it, we are fucked? Either you get stuck in the sand or damaged by the collapsing building, Hammer confirmed. And you have no opinion on this? Herbert glared at the useless Kimmick. 
I'm just a mole here spying out things and doing the inside security breach. I have no idea about transporting shit, the lieutenant gave back. Herbert's host believed in the higher being and the queen and started to pray for an epiphany while his guest rationalized Kimmick's statement as acceptable. Let's plow on then, Herbert commanded. Shift the transport so far to the left that you don't raise the building completely and run over the old pumps. The two loaders vanished into the control units to monitor the load distribution during the upcoming bumpy ride, while Gorsuch started the tire pressure deflation routine and turned the wheels into a synchronous move to the left. With all wheels pointing into one direction at the same time, they could crawl left without actually making a turn. A sideway glide was much easier on the load. The loaders gave the go-ahead and Gorsuch pushed the controls forward to accelerate the transport to 10 yards a minute. The whole unit of wheels shifted gradually towards the left bypassing the station. More and more wheels left the safety of the asphalt. Herbert held his hands over his chest. Kimmick looked at him and worried. Are you good or is your host acting up? You don't look well. Your face turned yellowish. I think Herbert is not the most robust body to begin with, Herbert said. He's up for almost 36 hours and has various risk factors for cardiovascular problems. Sit down, man, have a rest, Kimmick said. Go up into the command capsule up there and stretch out. The chair is pretty comfortable. Even the floor might do. We'll do fine without you for a while here. Herbert nodded, breathed in deeply several times and hoped the pain in his chest would subside. He then climbed upstairs into the command center. The chair indeed looked fine, but didn't recline. Herbert simply took the previous occupant's backpack from the corner, used it as a cushion and laid on the floor. He was out in a second. Chapter 43 Sina The surviving army group moved parallel to the road leading towards Veracity for the next 30 minutes. It was slow going over the rough ground, with the injured limping or being pulled on a makeshift carrier made from pieces of white tarp. Casper suddenly stopped and stared into the distance. Look at that! He exclaimed, and everyone else stood up and followed the direction of his outstretched arm. Sina's heart beat faster. The attackers had made it. The transport was on the road. And it moved towards veracity. They couldn't hear it, nor could they see the MMTUs from their limited viewpoint, but they could see the slow-motion parade of the top of the huge white-tarped hump moving on the horizon. Gorsuch and the others, Max said. Impossible, Sina replied, and yet the wheels of the transport were in motion again, and they had managed to execute an unplanned 90 degrees turn of the giant. 
Mac shrugged at Sina. Come on, of course it's possible. It's extremely risky to do it with one driver and a few loaders, but possible it is. If it's any consolation, there must also be someone from my crew involved. Doesn't make it easier, Sina said. She had worked a long time with Gorsuch, and it was hard to understand what had happened to him at the junction. The object stood still for a little while, then continued its majestic glide across the horizon, heading towards veracity. Judging the speed from the distance, the opposition team was pushing the engines to the limit. Someone was in a hurry. In the light of the setting sun, the transport looked like a giant white snail. It rose into better view when the landscape became hilly and vanished slowly in the distance. Makes you wonder what's so important in veracity, Mac mused. And now, Sina asked after they no longer saw the object, If my sense of orientation does not fail me, we will find Kendall's station this way, in about half a mile, Mac pointed. Let's move as planned. With the transport on the road to whatever destination, we might have become unimportant for our opponents. Casper and Ludovic took safety positions, and everyone else helped the remaining two injured team members to make the track as bearable as possible. They spotted the remains of the old gas station as soon as the bushwork got lighter as they approached the road. It was nothing more than a mix of dirty washed walls and wooden panels under a flat roof. Windows and doors were either nailed shut or just holes in the wall, abandoned a long time ago. This one hasn't seen a car in a quite a while, Max scanned the features and surroundings of the former rest stop through the field glasses. No movement. I'd say the site is clean, but let's be careful. Casper, this is what I want you to do. Casper took a large circle route to approach the station from the northern end of the road. He hid behind rocks and bushes as much as possible, but the landscape closer to the road was too barren to give good cover. Sina watched his approach through the scope of the rifle she had gotten from Sims and checked once in a while the empty window frames of the station. It was an old wooden structure, most paint, sandblasted off the walls from regular desert storms. Broken windows, the former pumping stations flattened to brown stumps, by the transport, no doubt. No one around, which did not mean that there wasn't a trap. Ludovic gave a whistle from his guarding position at the back of the little camp. Sarge, bogies incoming, at least two, maybe two hundred yards out, in the desert, where we came from. I detect movement. They are behind us. Mac gave Sina a panicked look. They expected our move. We are like sitting ducks here. Let's move towards the station and find cover inside the old building, Sina said. Casper had not checked out the building yet, but she was willing to take the risk. Agreed. Technically, Mac held the higher rank than Sina, but he was easily convinced. Ludovic, you hold them off. Careful on ammunition. Keep their heads down while we move into the cover of the building. Then fall back yourself. I, Sarge, Ludovic tracked the bushwork behind them. 
A few moments later his first shot rang out. Now also Casper, behind the station, would know that something was afoot. The group made their retreat towards the station, the injured again dictating the speed. Casper joined them at the side of the house. Looks empty, Sarge. What's up? Sina gave him the short version. Enemy driving us into the open. The road stretched into both directions. Everyone looked into the direction where Ludovic had seen their followers. Let's move behind the station, then we take cover, Mac commanded. Ludovic came running from his fallback position, crossed the road and joined them. Two of them. They just ducked after I engaged, but did not shoot back. Sina had a hollow feeling. That sounds like a trap. Her fear was confirmed by a voice from above. Don't move. Two guns are on you. Weapons down, arms up. The voice of Lieutenant Kimmick. Kimmick, don't be a fool. It's not too late to come to your senses, Mac shouted up. A shot rang out and dust sprayed in front of Mac's feet. Hands up and visible, I said. Everyone complied. They turned towards the station house roof, where indeed two gun barrels peeked over the ancient roofing balustrade. A well-executed plan coming to a conclusion. The enemy had been laying flat on the old gas station's roof. Kimmick kneeled down and came up with a tube device. He held it above his head and pulled a small cord. A red emergency rocket flushed into the air. First, two armed civilians appeared from the desert, making their way towards them. About a minute later, a motor noise announced something coming, and a yellow school bus appeared from over the hill, where the object had vanished a few minutes before. Behind it rode Kimmick's command jeep. More civilians, armed to the teeth, arrived, all in their regular office dress, some with severe sunburns. They stripped the army group of all their guns, rifles and knives. What is this? Your yearly office outing? Terrorists are us? Playing desert revolution? Mac asked up to Kimmick. Sina understood that Mac was trying to provoke some answers to give them insights of what was going on. Shut up, Mac, or I'll tire of you quickly, Kimmick said. The newcomers covered the transport specialists while Kimmick came down through the inside of the former gas station. The two guards stayed on top, guns aimed at them all the time. Good move, Sina thought, gives them the high ground should we try something desperate with the others down here. The rest of the enemy gang in front of them did not look very menacing, but it was unsettling to watch them move around like the ruthless terrorists. There was an underlying intrinsic determination in everything they did. The expression on their faces was mixed, some bored, some even showed fear. But their actions were controlled, no shaking hands, no shifting eyes. They were definitely no zombies, nor under visible duress. The opposite, there was a positive expectation oozing from their pores. Kimmick stepped outside, dusted his fatigue pants off. It was just a matter of time until you were branching from the desert onto the road. Mac tried to stare Kimmick down. You win, and here we are. What now, kill us? No, no, the opposite. We need any helping hand we can get, and we can use your skilled bodies and minds, Mac. 
awesome opportunity for us. You killed Bristol and his team. What happened to Gorsuch and the others? Max seethed and Cena worried that the loading master might do something heroic. Stupidly heroic. Your security team and the two helicopters were our core challenges, the decisive first ten seconds that won our attack. The first hit on your guards was the crucial moment. Had too many of Bristol's team survived, our little band of fighters would have stood no chance. He gave a broad smile. You are a monster, Kimmick, Max said through clenched teeth, his knuckles turning white from making fists. You do not understand who we are, Kimmick said. And now, let's not waste time. Can I ask you to step into the back of the bus and get naked? Are you out of your mind? You can't make me do that. Oh, yes, we can, Mac, Kimmick said in a quiet voice, drew his service pistol, held it against Perkins' head. Sorry, dude, it's on Mac, and shot. Perkins held a surprised look on his face while the other side of his head burst open. His body fell into the desert dust and the shot echoed into the wide open desert. Everyone was shocked. Mac gave a little scream, held his mouth. Cena clenched her fists, a total and complete hatred filling her. Perkins, one of her old crew, who liked Bavarian beer and pork knuckles and enviously never looked like it. The kid dead, Gorsuch tortured and now Perkins killed. What kind of world was she in? Kimmick showed no regret or remorse, just a business-like determination. He looked like an evil villain from a bad terrorist movie. He gave a grim smile. I can't make you do it, Mac. You will volunteer your body. Otherwise your friend, Sergeant Washington here, joins Perkins. But I will aim for something painful first. A knee or the elbow. Then I'll cut off her nose. Maybe her screams for mercy will make you decide faster. Now, Mac, step into the bus and get naked. Mac and Cena exchanged glances. He will kill us all anyway, Cena said. If you have an idea how to overcome them with a few of us killed during the fight, let's... Click. Kimmick cocked his pistol and held it at Cena's head. Let's... Not try anything stupid, Mac. The bus, now. One of the guarding civilians stepped closer to Mac and covered him with a machine gun and they stepped into the school bus and went into the back. The rest of the army prisoners stood in front of the gas pump's remains, arms raised high in the sweltering late afternoon sun. Shadows grew longer and longer, the sun almost hitting the horizon in the west. Cena watched the procedure inside the bus. One of his guards had poked Mac with a gun barrel and he started to unbutton his fatigue shirt and nestled with his shoes and trousers out of view from Cena's position. The same procedure she had witnessed after the attack with Gorsuch. When he was naked, the civilian strapped leather cuffs onto his wrists and ankles and pulled him down. What's in this stinking tube? Mac shouted from inside. My arms! Suddenly a new noise appeared in the background. A buzz. A high whine. A motor of some sort. A plane. A drone. Everyone looked around and searched the horizon for the source. At first 
The direction was impossible to determine, but then Sina located the source. It was approaching from the north. A second later, a small black speck appeared on the hilltop of the road. A motorcycle at high speed. Who's that? Kimmick shouted to the guards on the roof. Some blonde broad on a motorcycle, came the answer. The procedure in the bus was interrupted to watch the bikes approach. A surreal moment. One of us? Kimmick asked. The guard shook his head. Should I stop her? Let's wait and find out. Prisoners and attackers watched the bike come closer and closer. Indeed, a large blonde lady in leather jeans and a biker jacket. She passed the group at what must have been 120 miles per hour, a roaring whoosh. And then the bike raced towards the highway junction, getting out of sight past the next hilltop. What was that all about? Kimmick mused and then called into the bus. Hey, let's get it on again. Before Max's procedure continued, the motor buzz sound reappeared. The bike lady must have turned. And sure enough, Sina saw the bike speeding over the hill, heading their way again. Eliminate her! Kimmick screamed. Shoot if you have a good target! The two rifle-bearing civilians moved to the other side of the flat roof and positioned themselves. And what speed the motorcycle had! Like an angry wasp! It shot towards them, growing bigger and bigger by the second. Sina estimated that it ran faster than before. The rider's long blonde hair flowed behind her like a rocket flame. How can she have her eyes open at this speed? was Sina's random thought when she saw the rider's face, now about 200 yards out, closing in fast. The lady looked concentrated and relaxed at the same time. Everyone is distracted, Sina realized, and that's the lady's plan. Fire! Fire, you idiots! Kimmick shouted up to the roof. Sina was looking for an angle to grab her nearest guard, glanced briefly into the bus where Mac was gone from view. She heard him curse. They were apparently using the same tub that had been Gorsuch's fate. But one guard also looked out of the rear of the bus, readying his gun to fire at the incoming woman. The nearest guard from Sina was three yards away, still controlling the prisoners. The next distraction was her chance. The motorcycle rider lifted her hands from the steering bar and they vanished behind her back in a smooth, quick motion and returned with sub-nosed machine pistols with extra-long magazines, one in each hand. Like in an overdrive action movie, the lady started firing three-round bursts, alternating her hands, hitting both roof guards. They screamed, fell over the balustrade, blood spraying their own guns going off, shooting into the yellow desert sky. The whole event took less than two seconds. Shoot, shoot, shoot! Kimmick screamed, his own pistol already aiming and firing, a desperate lucky shot strategy with small chance of hitting his target at this distance and her speed. The motorcycle lady was at 80 yards out, aimed straight at the group standing. Every civilian now turned their weapons and Sina slammed with all the 120 pounds like a linebacker into the man who covered her, going for his weapon, grabbing her with all her might. Down, everyone! From the corner of her eyes, she saw Casper also jumping at the guard closest to him. 
Muffled shouts came from the inside the bus. Max, surprised and angry. What did you put in the water? What the hell? Help! Whatever they had been planning for Gorsuch earlier now appeared again. The green slug. The motorcycle lady continued the barrage of fire. She ran the motorcycle free-handedly, firing on fully automatic now. One guard who tried to peel Casper off his opponent lost an arm in a spray of skin, bone matter and blood. Total chaos, everyone diving for cover, civilians and army alike. Some shot back, total confusion, who was fighting whom? A shrill scream from the bus, Mac again, still in trouble. Kimmick jumped into his jeep, the motor was still on idle, and threw it into reverse gear, pressed the pedal down. Bullets hit the motorcycle several times, its front tire disintegrating in shredded rubber. The whole machine did an incredibly brutal lurch, unbalancing its rider. The tail flopped around like an unstable gyroscope, and then the cycle flipped over the front wheel, throwing the lady through the air in a high arc. In another incredible sight, the lady in a controlled somersault, landing on her lower legs and feet sliding forward on the asphalt, sparks flying behind her from her metal knee and boot protectors. Both the MPs were still in her hand and another round of bullets arrived, hitting the bus and another of the guards with impossible accuracy. Kimmick ducked away from the deadly hailstorm as his jeep was hit over and over by the mad sliding lady's shots, ricochet buzzing in all directions. Cena fought like a wildcat with her opponent, one hand round his weapon, the other rummaging in his face, trying to land a finger in his eyes. The man pushed back his head, turned it wildly for a few moments, trying for Cena's face too but her hands had the better reach and she found her target. The man beside her screamed like a girl as the thumbnail pressed into the left eye socket and he let go of his gun. Sina grabbed it, the finger in his eyes no longer needed, and her right hand found the trigger. A burst of bullets slammed into the upper torso of the man under her. Sina rolled away from him, just in time to see the tumbling motorcycle smashing into the parked bus at a flat angle. The deformed wreck bounced back and bowled into one of the civilian enemies, who was too slow to get out of the way. The motorcycle literally ripped his body apart. Rack and human flesh catapulted into the wall of the gas station, breaking a hole ending up somewhere inside. The lady on her knees still slid at high speed towards the fighting group. She was unable to change her course and Kimmick's approaching jeep hit her with a sickening crunch 30 yards away from the bus. The woman had managed to drop to her side to avoid certain death, but everything below the navel was crushed by the jeep's big heavy wheels. Kimmick broke hard, made a power slide and sped up, running over the blonde woman once more. It passed the bus and raced towards veracity. Kimmick knew that he had lost the fight, leaving his troops behind. Sina reacted too late, shocked by the brutal run over of the woman who had saved them, and she lifted her rifle to her shoulder, her thumb automatically switched to single shot, and she emptied the gun into Kimmick's direction. 
It was hopeless. He ducked again and was soon out of her range. Sina cursed and threw away her useless gun, grabbed another one from one of the dead civilians, checked it for ammunition and controlled the scene. Not. Caspar shouted a warning and Sina threw herself on the ground, a bullet slamming into the place where she had stood just a second before. The bus crew. Caspar returned fire through the bus window and one of Mac's guards crumbled inside. Mac screamed for help again. Sina raced up the front stairs into the bus, her pistol in front of her. Mac kept his remaining guard busy, fighting one-handedly like a wildcat, strapped to the tub with both legs and one arm, trying to keep his bottom out of the milky fluid. Give up, Sina cried, and the remaining guard actually gave up on Mac to face Sina, taking a step back, releasing his grip on Mac. Bad mistake. The naked sergeant stretched as far as he could with his free arm and unceremoniously grabbed the distracted guard by the neck. He pulled the man down forcefully and slammed the hat several times against the bathtub's rim until a bloody, sticky spot appeared. There's something in the water, he screamed at Sina, his voice full of panic. His body thrashed in the water as he tried to untie his second hand, the ropes on the leather straps being too short to free himself fully. Sina ran up to the tub, saw something greenish moving under the surface between Mac's legs. Without thinking, she took aim and shot into the milky fluid where she could see the thing floating and moving. Green slime splatter confirmed her aim, the milky fluid immediately draining from the punctured tub, and she followed up with three more bullets. Stop, stop, Mac shouted. It's gone. Her shooting stopped, and silence returned. All active participants out of ammunition at the same moment, and the only thing that still could be heard faintly was the high rev whine of Kimmick's jeep, still racing away, gaining distance between himself and the gas station, the sound slowly fading. Mac wiggled. Cut me loose! Jesus, what the heck? What was that thing? Sina took her knife and cut through the cuff ties. Quicker than a tiger, Mac was out of the tub, dripping on the bus's floor, stark naked. Did you just unload a weapon between my legs? He panted and grabbed his clothing. I'm a good shot, Sina said, and you were immobile. Immobile? My boys were out there swimming. Milky, greenish fluid flooded the boss's interior. Suddenly, both giggled, despite all the horror and tragedy they just had experienced. Both had to fight to regain composure. Jimmy Fallon could make hundred better one-liners out of this, Sina held her mouth, another giggle coming out of it, involuntarily. Mac laughed too and slipped into his trousers. Thanks, that, that thing started to drill on me, if you get my drift. Sina stared down at Mac's crotch and quickly averted her eyes. Is that what had happened to Gorsuch? It's the same fluid, the same tub. This will whatever either get something sexual out of raping us, or this is a body invasion, a parasite, or a virus in the size of a cat. 
Man, could this get any worse? Sina groaned. See that everything is all right out there. I'll be with you in a minute. Too bad Kimmick got away, Sina said. I would have loved to shoot him in the balls. With a nail gun, rusty nails, tipped in hot chili sauce and dog shit, Mac agreed. Sina left the bus and assessed the final score, army versus enemy. Mac and she had neutralized the guards inside the bus, and Sina had killed her hand combat opponent. Casper's counterpart had been shot by the black leather lady, the two roof guards too. One person killed by the motorcycle collision. The lieutenant got away. The last opponent civilian was still alive. Sort of. She looked like an ordinary middle-aged lady, dressed in a cream business pantsuit, now bloody most everywhere. She had received a couple of gut shots, bleeding and breathing heavily, blood boiling on her chest where the lungs had been pierced. Casper checked her for additional weapons, found none. Sina checked on Perkins, lying dead on the ground. His eyes stared into nothingness. Another dad on her watch. He had been one of Max's guys, but they had served together for three years in various places, in good and in bad missions. He had been the funny one, after duty always good for a joke or a story, and super professional and serious on the job. Killed by his commanding officer. Sina took a deep breath to fight back her tears once more, then gently closed Perkins' eyes. Mac came up behind her and put a hand on her shoulder. She put her own hand over it. How many more, Mac? Sina sobbed. We'll get the bastards. I'll kill Kimmick personally. Guys, you should really see this. Casper called over while he stepped away from the injured woman in the pantsuit, who was now groaning, blood running from her mouth. Sina got up and stepped closer. Casper had cut away the woman's clothes to see if he could apply first aid, all the skin covered in blood. And from her gun-ripped open gut cavity, spilled some intestines in a sea of dark black blood. And some slimy green tentacles wiggled within the wound. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And another shameless self-promotion, if you liked what you heard and think that many of your potential customers might be listening to this podcast too, feel free to contact me at alex.ames.writing at gmail.com. 
or send me a private message on Twitter or Instagram at AlexAmesWriting, one word. The middle section of this podcast could be reserved for you. And that's it, for real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you, take care, I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames, this was The Transport, over and out.